This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayina.com slash dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H slash dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dream a reality. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Hal ataka hadithu Musa Ibnadahu rabbuhu bil wadi al-muqaddasi tuwa Idhhab ila fir'awna innahu tagha فَقُلْ هَلْ لَكَ إِلَىٰ أَنْ تَزَكَّى وَأَهْدِيَكَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَتَخْشَى فَأَرَاهُ الْآيَةُ الْكُبْرَى فَكَذَّبَ وَعَصَى ثُمَّ أَدْبَرَ يَسْعَى فَحَشَرَ فَنَادَى فَقَالَ أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى فَأَخَذَهُ اللَّهُ نَكَالَ الْآخِرَةِ وَالْأُولَى إن في ذلك لعبرة لمن يخشى رب الشرح لصدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقطة من لساني يفقه قولي والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله ثم أما بعد I, the ayat I just recited I recited that selection on purpose even though we've done some of them already just to highlight again the rhyme scheme of the ending phonetics موسى طوى طغى تزكى تخشى الكبرى Notice the A at the end of all of them, right? That even phonetically illustrates that they're part of the same paragraph. It's the same discussion continuing, it's connected somehow. When we go beyond them, there'll be another series of syllables at the ends of ayat. That'll illustrate that that's another grouping of ayat together, that they go together. That's like a formulation of paragraphs. This is a component of Qur'an's discourse, the organization of Qur'anic discourse, that's very difficult to communicate in translation. This component of it, okay? Anyhow, so we were in the midst of the discourse where the Messenger of Allah was told, هَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ مُوسَى Didn't the discourse, or didn't the news of Musa, as though it's all new again, come to you already? When you, his Lord called on to him in the valley of At-Tuwa, and he told him, اِذْهَبْ إِلَىٰ فِرْعَوْنِ إِنَّهُ طَغَىٰ Now notice, you know, in other places in the Qur'an, you're going to find a lot more detail about what happened when he went to Tuwa. You'll like, even find detail on how he got there when he saw the fire, and you know, you know, he's going to go there perhaps to get directions, etc. So why no details here? Why so short here? See, the thing is in the Qur'an, the purpose is not telling the story. That's not the purpose. The story is, only the part of the story is cited. Only that part which fits in with the discourse that proceeds and the discourse that will follow. So the stories are repeated. Musa a.s. is mentioned over 70 different places in the Qur'an. Why? Not because we don't know the story once time, one time you've heard it. The point is only to cite that component of his legacy that will be relevant to the discussion at hand, to the surah at hand, to the discourse at hand. And that's what's happening here. So none of the details that are irrelevant to this discussion are mentioned. Only the things that particularly have to do with this discussion are mentioned. This is part of the, the uh, brevity of speech in the Qur'an. This is also part of the meticulous organization of, of ideas in the Qur'an's discourse. Anyhow. So, فَقُلْ هَلْ لَكَ إِلَىٰ أَن This is the ayah we left off on. Then say to him, as a, when you go to him, as a result of his rebellion, say to him, fa again, sababiya. Also it's called fa at which connects the two things together. Should I give you, sh- sh- do you not see in yourself any inclination, any bit of inclination that you may want to purify yourself, cleanse yourself of your flaws? And do you not see in yourself any inclination whatsoever that I may guide you? It's connected. And how do I know it's not a separate sentence altogether? You see the fatha on ahdiyah, that fatha ahdiyah. Normally it's ahdi, that's a marfu' state. It's grammar, in grammar it's called. That ahdiyah means it's mansub because of an in the previous ayah. An tazakka. There's one thing I forgot to mention about the previous word that's, that's really important to note. You see the word tazakka in Arabic? And by the way, you guys normally should have a mushaf in front of you so you can follow along. Okay? Anyway, tazakka originally is tatazakka. It's tatazakka. For brevity, you can take two taz out and make it one. Like Allah says, وَاَعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا Actually, you can also say, وَلَا تَتَفَرَّقُوا You can have two taz there. Originally, there are two taz there. Similarly, there are two taz here. 
tatazakka, but the brief version of it is tazakka. And actually, even though grammatically it means the same thing, you know, and aqul tatazakka or tazakka, it means the same thing. But in the Quran, it means two different things. The Quran's language is so sensitive that even words that are dissimilar, we cannot pass them off as, oh, it means the same as tatazakka. It's actually separate. For example, in the Quran you will find yatadabbaruna, yatadabbaruna, multiple syllables, yatadal. Then you'll find yadabbaru ayatihi. There's idgham, there's fusion of the syllables. You'll find yatadakkaruna, yatadakkaruna. Then you'll find yadakkaruna, fusion. So there's, in, to make the matter simple, in English you say something like, I saw a demo, right? Or you say, I saw a demonstration. You know the brief version of the word? In a much more sophisticated form in Arabic, you can actually take a syllable in the beginning of the word and remove it because it's redundant. Now when you keep it, it alludes to a more complete context. And when you take it away, it's a more partial context. In other words, the word tazakka here is, do you find not even a little bit of an inclination to purify even anything of your character? If it's tatazakka, it's more complete. Refine everything about your character. But not a thing about your character do I see that you want to change. You've, you're very happy with the way you are. And the ultimate tughyan that some of the ulama mentioned under this ayah, for example in Tafsir al-Midraq, we found that, uh, that his worst rebellion was that he saw something, nothing wrong in his rebellion. There was no guilt. There was no, not even an inclination that I'm doing something wrong. And this, this was Fir'auniyah. This, this is really the, the, the Fir'aunic state of mind. Anyhow, this is being illustrated because the mushrikun are turning into this. The ones that are talk that, that Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he's talking to them. They're turning into Fir'aun, all of them, because they find in them no inclination to even consider the goodness that they, they know to be true. That's deep inside of them. Wa ahdiyaka ila rabbik, and that I may that I may guide you towards your Lord. Now you see the word hidayah in the Quran. It's used in multiple ways. In the Fatiha, we find إِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ All of you know this by heart. But we don't find إِهْدِنَا إِلَى الصِّرَاطِ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ Here you find وَأَهْدِيَكَ إِلَى There's no إِلَى in Fatiha. And there's a difference. Actually, the, the, the closer the literary interpretation of إِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ is guide us to and along the straight path. The most common translations we find are guide us to the straight path. That would have been correct and complete if the Arabic was إِهْدِنَا إِلَى الصِّرَاطِ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ but there's no ila in the Fatiha. So the meaning it becomes hal also. Right? And all of the prepositions are understood when you remove a preposition. So the meaning is guide us to and along the straight path. In other words, the path is there. When you say guide to, that means knowledge, by the way. When you use the preposition to, like if I say guide me to the airport, what are you going to give me? You're going to give me a map? Or are you going to give me directions? Right? You're going to give me knowledge. But when I say guide me to and along, then it's not just knowledge, it's also support. Alright, I'll sit in the car with you, I'll come with you, right? Here, Musa alayhi salam is illustrating, وَأَهْدِيَكَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ I will guide you to your Lord, meaning let me teach you, let me at least tell you. What this illustrates is he doesn't even want to hear it. He doesn't even want to hear it. Plus, it is only appropriate for Musa alayhi salam to guide someone to, or to give them knowledge of. Because in the end, in the end guiding someone along the path, who's the only one who can do that? That is exclusive to Allah. So it's appropriately used ila. Then, ila rabbik. This is actually a fundamental term in this surah. Rububiya, rabb. I will guide you to your rabb. Why? You will find a little bit further down, what's, what is Fir'aun going to say? Ana rabbukum a'la. I am your supreme rabb. Your rabb. And it is actually the concept of rububiya that's at the heart of belief in the akhirah. And we have to connect these two things together. The key term, you know, in reference to Allah, we don't find the word Allah here. What do we find? We don't say, وَأَهْدِيَكَ إِلَى اللَّهِ فَتَخْشَى Or, أَوْلَى الرَّحْمَانِ We found Ar-Rahman in Surah Naba. Here the key word we find is Rabb. The key word here is Rabb. And actually it is a continuation of the end of Naba where we, where we read, رَبِّ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا الرحمن. Now here that same Rabb is actually showing mercy even to Fir'aun. He's not closing the door on him until he closes the door on himself. وَأَهْدِيَكَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَتَخْشَىٰ Then you may find any inclination to, be, to fear for yourself. Remember khashya we talked about before. A kind of a fear of something magnanimous. A fear of something huge. If I give you knowledge of it and you're able to internalize any of it, you'll realize how insignificant you are and in comparison how, how enormous your Lord is, it will put you in a state of khashya. That word is 
perfectly relevant specifically for Fir'aun because he doesn't think of anything grander than who? Himself. So that specific word of fear, the, the kind of fear that is of something greater than yourself. That's the specific word of fear used, khashiyah, not khawf. Not any other kind of fear, that specific kind of fear. Fataqsha. The other thing that's, that's very beautiful, a lesson in this is, وَأَهْدِيَكَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ I will guide you, or let me, don't you even find any inclination or any permission in yourself to let me guide you to your Lord, or give you knowledge of, of the fact of your Lord. And if you had that knowledge, then what would necessarily happen? Fa, as a result, تَخْشَ As a result, you would be overwhelmed in fear. You will be in fear of something greater than yourself. What we learn from this is, true knowledge leads to what? It leads to fear. True knowledge leads to fear. This is why we find, وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ The people mature in knowledge, Allah calls them ulul albab, right? The people of pure intellect, Ali Imran. These are the truly knowledgeable, mature in knowledge. Those same ulul albab at the end of Ali Imran, they're explained further. You want to learn more about them? لَآيَاتٍ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ and in that passage, you find these people of knowledge, they're afraid. Rabbana la Actually, they're, they're begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَتَوَفَّنَا مَعَ الْأَبْرَارِ لَا تُخْزِنَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ You know, give us what you promised your messengers. Don't humiliate, it on the day, humiliate us on the day of resurrection. They're terrified. That's how the people of knowledge are described. So if you had that knowledge, the first consequence of that knowledge would be, you would be afraid. فَتَخْشَى and by the way, again, remember, we are being told of Musa and Fir'aun, alayhi, uh, 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 Musa and Fir'aun, la'anahullah. But what we're really talking about actually is Muhammad sallam, and the Quraysh. That's what's really going on. This is a parallel. It's not a story. There are parallels to this situation from that situation. Then, in order to make him you know, find that goodness inside of him, a little bit of help from the outside, Allah says, then he showed him, meaning Musa salam showed him, al-ayat al-kubra, the ultimate sign, the ultimate sign, the huge, kubra is the feminine equivalent of akbar, you know, we say Allahu akbar, the feminine of akbar in Arabic is kubra, like ahsan is husna, okay, and these are from the superlative, afdal al-tafdil, it's called in Arabic, the superlative adjective, so the ultimate sign, now we know Musa salam was given many signs, but we know that Fir'aun was terrified of all the signs, most of the staff turning into a snake. How do we know he was terrified of that most? Because when he hired those magicians and he sent out his recruiters, what did they train to compete with? The hand? They didn't compete with the, with the light lit hand. They didn't compete with the locust or the nine signs. When they came to compete, what did they throw? Hibaluhum wa asiyuhum. They threw their ropes and their rods to, to simulate or to compete with that which terrified him the most. So Allah Azza wa Jalla says, so he showed him the ultimate sign, the greatest sign. And then as a result, by the way, for Fir'aun, the greatest sign was the staff turning into a snake. But the parallel again is in Muhammad's time, sallallahu alayhi wa with the Quraysh. What's the sign that he's showing them? It is Qur'an itself. That Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa showed the Quraysh over the course of years, the miraculous eloquence, the power, the, the, the mesmerizing power of this Qur'an, the relentless power of this Qur'an. That's the Ayatul Kubra for them. Al-Kitab Al-Akbar, the greatest book. So now, as a result, even after seeing that miracle, because there was nothing inside of him that wanted to return to good, what did he do instead? فَكَذَّبَ وَعَصَى Then the two things Allah mentions in this ayah. فَكَذَّبَ Then as a result, he did takdeeb. Now usually, كَذَّبَ There's usually a maf'ul bihi, there's an object. فَكَذَّبَ بِمُوسَى فَكَذَّبَ بِالْآيَةِ There's no B, there's no object mentioned. All, this, all that's mentioned is, he lied against. Now when you say he lied against, you're expecting lied against who? Lied against the sign, lied against Musa, lied against his whole conscience. When you want to say he lied against all of those things, you leave out the object. So all of them are implied as the object. That's a tool in Arabic. So فَكَذَّبَ He lied against Musa salam, Propagated against Musa salam. He lied against the sign that Musa salam showed him. Calling the sign magic. Calling it a lie. Calling it trickery. Then he lied against his own conscience, which deep inside was telling him that that's the truth. So all of that is included by Allah, not mentioning a maf'ul bihi with a ba, kathaba bi, something. So kathaba, that's the first thing. By the way, this is the same thing that the Quraysh are doing. When they see the ultimate sign, their response, in, in, in those of them that have any, have any inkling of truth in them, that doesn't lead them to this. But the ones that find nothing in them of goodness, 
it results them not only to lying to themselves, to lying to themselves, or lying against the book that it's not the truth. They actually propagate lies against Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So those who propagate lies against the Messenger sallallahu what we learn from this from default is they have no inkling of goodness in them. Those who propagate lies against the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Wa asa, and then as an in addition, he did isyan, asa. That's the verb that's used. Now, asa means to disobey. There are three kinds of disobedience talked about in the Quran. We should know about them. The word asa is to also to refuse or to disobey. But more specifically, it is to disobey or to refuse to do something that you know to be good. That's when isyan is used. When you know it's good, when you know it's not a bad thing, and you still refuse, that's when the word isyan is used. This is perfectly appropriate here specifically because the, we already talked about him not having even the slightest inclination inside of him. Right? There's not even a little bit of an inclination to, to purify any bit of himself. No goodness left. So when he sees something good, he, he disobeys, he refuses to accept it. Another kind of disobedience that's mentioned in the Quran is fisk, corruption. Commonly translated corruption. Literally means to, to abandon a path that was good to begin with. So someone who has fisk is someone who was good and then went the wrong way. Or who, who walked the good path and then abandoned it. And the one who keeps abandoning it, in, in fiqh also we call him a fasiq. He keeps disobeying Allah. He keeps going the wrong way despite knowing the right way. Then another kind of uh, wrongdoing or, or disobedience is called fujur, from fajara. And it literally means to tear something wide open. This is the kind of fasiq who doesn't only disobey but is proud of his disobedience and is open about his disobedience and disobeys in the worst kind of ways. So this is a fajr. You know the complaint of Nuh alayhi salam, وَلَنْ يَلِدُوا إِلَّا فَاجِرًا kafara. Right? They will give birth to no one except fajr. They will be you know, audacious, shameless in the way they do sins. And they will be relentless in their disbelief. So fajr, that's the third kind. Asas is specifically the one who refuses to do something they know to be good. This is Isyan. Now, Now, this is what Fir'aun did. But in the context of this surah, what is the takdeeb? What are you lying? What are the kuffar lying against? You see, their takdeeb was manifest when they said, they said, in this surah, are we going to be returned to the old state again? Back to back to the old way, all back to normal. Is that what's going to happen? Then they lied again. We're going to be reduced to decayed bones. Then they did takdeeb again. They lied again when they said, That's going to be a really terrible kind of attack on us and a return. How horrible is that going to be? And they were being sarcastic when they said these things. This is their takdeeb. This is their takdeeb. Now Allah says, tells us more about Fir'aun and through him tells us more about the state of the Quraysh. Then he turned away, turned away, turned away. What this means is he's pacing back and forth. Sa'i in Arabic isn't really to run. It is a state faster than walking, but slower than running, to pace. You know how we say pace, to quickly pace? So you can, what the, the image that's been illustrated is, Fir'aun is up in his castle somewhere, the da'wah of Musa salam has awed and completely wowed even his ministers, and it's spreading far and wide, and the message can't be stopped, the more he tries to put it down, the, the worse it gets. If you study the dialogue between Musa and Fir'aun, you find the more Fir'aun tries to put it down, the more mesmerizing Musa becomes for the audience. And so the situation goes from bad to worse to worse to worse for Fir'aun. His propaganda to shut this thing down is not working. So what's he doing? He's sitting up in his cabinet, up in his office, pacing back and forth. What this illustrates is he's restless. He's restless and he's trying to figure out what to do next. And you know we talked about the word tadbir before, فَالْمُدَبِّرَاتِ amra tadbir. This is idbar, idbar. And idbar is actually lesser than tadbir. It's to try to plan something, but try to put it together too quickly, so quickly you haven't given it enough thought. Had you given it enough thought, what would it have been? Tadbir. That would have been tadbir. So this is just him turning back and forth, trying to come up with something. And we know he's a victim of this because you know when Musa salam first comes to him, he calls him majnoon. He calls him crazy. He calls him possessed. A couple of seconds later, he calls him sahir, magician. Then a couple of seconds later, he says, "Yuridu an yukhrijakum min ardikum." He wants to expel you from your land. Well, the, the the crazy thing didn't work. People are still listening. Let's call him a magician. Well, the magician thing's not working either. So let's just try to scare people. Tell him he's a he's a threat to homeland security. He's going to get you kicked out of your land. That's the reason you should fear him, right? And then when none of this worked, oh, إِنَّهُ لَكَبِيرُكُمْ 
He is the biggest of you guys who taught you magic. One lie after another. But he's kind of trying to improvise because he's running out of things to dismantle the message of, uh, you know, of the da'wah of Musa So ثُمَّ أَدْبَرَ يَسْعَى Then Allah illustrates to us the desperation that he had. فَحَشَرَ You know, jama'a in Arabic is to gather. Hashara is also to gather, in translation at least. But the difference between hashara and jama'a is hashara is to herd. Like you do it for animals. Okay? And you know, so you know, on the Day of Judgment, Allah says, وَإِلَى الْوُحُوشُ حُشِرَتْ Wild animals are going to be get herded together. Typically when you think of being herded, you think of cows and sheep. That's what you can herd. So he herded people together like animals. Why? Because the people are in their homes, they're listening to the message, they're discussing it, they're thinking about it. Now he needs to bring them all together, force them all together, stand in front of them, stand in front of them, and then reiterate the beliefs they're supposed to have, the official policy of the state, the official religion of the country. Right? So, فَحَشَرَ Then he called, first he gathered them forcefully, but we learned this from the word hashara. Then he called out to them, what did he call out to them? فَقَالَ He made a call, فَقَالَ then as he, and as he said, أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى I am your supreme Lord. Now the thing is, this was already known. The claim that he is the Rabb, supposedly, of the land, was something already known. This was something that the soldiers would reiterate. But the fact that the da'wah was getting so strong that he felt the need to gather people and then remind them that he is their Lord. But not just their Lord, ana rabbukum. Not just that. He said, rabbukum al-a'la. I am your supreme Lord. Now, supremacy illustrates there's somebody else claiming to be a Lord and now it seems to be that I'm in competition with that Lord. I'm the higher one. Ana rabbukum al-a'la. He felt the desperate need to say this to his people. Why? Because as you read in other places, Musa alayhi salam comes to him, the first thing Musa says to him, Inna Rasulu Rabbil Alameen, the Lord of the worlds. He, he tries to wash it off. He says, Musa says, My Lord granted me firmness and made me from the messenger. Mentions the Lord again, his Lord, the Lord of the worlds. Then comes back again, he says, Ma Rabbul Alameen. Musa says, Rabbul Samawati wal Ardu wa ma baynahuma. Again, he says, The Lord of the heavens, Rabb of the heavens and the earth, and whatever lies in between. Then he tries to distract him again. Musa doesn't get off course. He says again, Rabbul Mashriqi wal Maghribi wa ma baynahuma. The Lord of the East and the West, whatever's in between them. Then Fir'aun tries to dismantle that, tries to come up with something else. Musa comes back again and says, Rabbukum wa Rabbu Aba'ikum Your Lord and the Lord of your earliest forefathers. Rabb, 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 Rabb. Musa is not letting go of the fact that you need to be introduced to the, the real Rabb. Right? So now he's threatened because this other Rabb is now being believed in and people are getting impressed with the da'wah of Musa salam. So he has to come out and say, I am your supreme Rabb. Now this was his shirk. The shirk of the Quraysh was allegiance to, to their tradition. It wasn't the same exact thing as Fir'aun, but the net result is the same. The net result is your, your, either it's your false gods, that's your god, your, your, your tradition is your god. That you can't show, you know, uh, you can't leave or abandon their allegiance. Or Firaun himself, he claims to be the God himself, he claims to be the Rabb himself. Anyway, Ana Rabbukum al-A'la. This is his ultimate cry. One passage, at least, we should go through that illustrates this nida of, of Firaun. Wanada Firaunu fi qawmihi. It's a different surah we find. And Firaun made a call into his nation. He called to his nation saying, My nation, isn't it true that I have the dominion, the sovereignty, the kingship of Egypt at my disposal? And these rivers, they flow at my feet. They flow underneath me. And why don't you see? Now, the fact that he had to say, why don't you see, is, illustrates that they're seeing something else. It's something else that they see that they're impressed with. Am Am I not better than this humiliated one, this lower race? And then he says, "Wala yakadu yubin," and sometimes he can't even speak clearly. He can't even articulate himself, referring to the stutter of Musa salam. So now, this 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 dialogue of Fir'aun actually, you would think it's an illustration of his of his arrogance and his power, but at the same time, actually, it's an illustration of his weakness. It's actually an illustration that ideologically, what he has to say has become hollow, that he has to start doing this kind of propaganda in public. He never, had the, he never felt the need to go and talk to the people and sway them to his side. Anybody looks him in the eye, he can just kill him. That was the kind of fear that was raging in the hearts of the people. But when the da'wah spread, the fear is subsiding. And now there's knowledge of a real Lord. 
And Musa alayhi salam is an alternative form of leadership. So there's a political shift in the land. And he needs to come and give a public address, a national inaugural address, and remind the people, hey, look at me. I'm still the king here. These rivers are still at my feet, subhanAllah. So this is فَحَشَرَ فَنَادَ فَقَالَ أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى Then Allah reminds the Messenger Then Allah took him, seized him, and made nakal out of him. Now nakal actually in Arabic is used for an anklet or a bracelet that in ancient prisons was tied to a wall, you know, the chain and then an anklet. So you can't move. It was also used for chains that prisoners have together. So when the guard moves them, they all are forced to move. They can't stay in one place. So it's an anklet that either restricts your movement or forces your movement where your movement isn't on your own. Right, this is nakal. And this was used as a means to show others when they would come or pass by, they would see these prisoners. So they would be deterred that we, should, we better not break the law, otherwise we're going to end up like this. So the nakal was a means of in, you know, injecting fear into a population. This was how it was done. Okay? And also before somebody was executed, they were put in nakal. They were put in these chains. So this was a means of actually terrifying the masses of people to not stand up against the status quo. This was a means by which it was done. Allah says that he took Fir'aun and he made a nakal out of him. Now that's interestingly ironic because he made it basically a deterrent out of him. Don't be like him because he's the worst kind of example for al-akhirati wal-ula. And so he is a worst kind of example for the last of people to walk this earth and the earliest. Also means a worst case in, in terms of the hereafter and also in this life. But the thing is, if you look at Fir'aun's discourse and his anger, when he saw people believe, you know what he said to them? He said, I'm going to make an example out of you. I'm going to cut your hands and your feet from opposite sides. He was the one who was saying, I'm going to make an example out of you. Here Allah says, I will, Allah took him and made an example out of him. For the, even the last ones to come. So by this, Allah Azza wa is saying to the Quraysh who are skeptical and loosely talking about the hereafter, look, take the warning. People much more powerful before you have been dealt with already. And by this very, this very thing, the messenger is being told, وسلم, don't worry about it. Even if they disbelieve, Allah has dealt with far worse already. Allah is on your side, subhanahu wa ta'ala. You just keep doing what you're doing. Two things at the same time. Issuing a deadly threat to the kafir, the one denying the hereafter, and issuing a, a consolation and a support to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Inna fi dhalika la'ibratan liman yakhsha. In all of that, there is ibra. Ibra is a very interesting word in Arabic. You know, commonly it's translated as a lesson and a warning. But ibra comes from ubur, to cross water. Like if you want to cross a river, right? This is ubur. Abr al-Nahr, for example, or Abr al-Nahr is used, it's the place, like a dock on the river, where the ship goes and goes straight across the water. That's Abr al-Nahr. Abr al-Ain, or Abrat al-Ain is used in Arabic when you shed a tear. Meaning that the, the tear has crossed the lines of your eye and it's come out. Right? Now, this is how the word Ibra is used. So if, when you say for about, a, about a person, Abra, it means he is so sad he's brought to a point of tears. By using inna fi dhalika la ibra in, in the account, especially in that, meaning especially in the account of Fir'aun and Musa alayhim salam in that account, especially in it, there is no doubt about it, there is enough reason for one to shed tears out of sadness if they realize the state of their affairs. There is enough for that. And then the crossing water analogy, what that, how that applies here is, there is enough of a clue in that for you to cross the waters from falsehood into now truth. But again, there's a condition. The only people who will be able to cross this, the only people who will feel sadness and realize that they've been on the wrong side of things, are people who have what in them? Fear. Who has the ability to feel fear still. They have some fear of consequence, of something larger than themselves. Now, after this discourse, there were, there were multiple paragraphs in this surah. I want you to be aware of the division of discussions. The first one was the passage on Nazi'at. That was the first passage. The second passage, then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts speaking about the day of, of, of judgment. يَوْمَ تَرْجُفُ الرَّاجِفَةِ And so forth. Okay, that was the next. Then there was the هَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ مُوسَىٰ إِذْ نَادَ رَبُّهُ بِالْوَادِ الْمُقَدَّسِ The discourse of Musa a.s. That was the third paragraph you could say. Now the fourth paragraph. And its, its style is also different. أَأَنْتُمْ أَشَدُّ خَلْقًا أَمِ السَّمَاءُ بَنَاهَا رَفَعَ سَمْكَهَا فَسَوَّاهَا You hear something? Right? وَأَغْتَشَ لَيْلَهَا وَأَخْرَجَ ضُحَاهَا You see the rhyme scheme returning? 
because it's a, it's a new passage. It's a new discourse. And even from when we study the subject matter, we'll appreciate that. Here Allah says, Are you more severe a construction, a creation? Are you more powerful or more difficult? Shadid also is used in the sense of difficulty. In other words, are you more difficult or severe or intense in, or in terms of being created or is the sky? Are you tougher to build or the sky? When you go to Surah Naba, we found the earth first and the sky second. And then afterwards, there was the earth and then the sky. But we said there's a reversal from Surah Al-Naba and Surah Al-Nazi'at. So now the reverse is used. Allah Azza wa Jalla speaks of the sky and then what's He going to speak of? The earth. He's going to reverse the sequence. Okay. So, He says, are you more intense in construction of the sky? Banaha, He built it. Now, bina is to build something where one piece of it meshes into the other. Like a building is called bina because one brick meshes into the other. Or one wall meshes into the other. So Allah is illustrating that the sky is a seamless construction where one thing falls into the next. Sama also comes from the words, the, the original seen, meme, and wow. Which actually means whatever lies above you. So don't just think of sama in Arabic as the sky. is everything above. The, the body, the planets, the stars, the moons, the galaxies. All of it is considered... Sama. Inshallah, when we get to the passages where we compare the phrase samawat in the Quran with sama, we'll see that difference more clearly. But for now, just know sama is everything above, everything else, not just the sky. So is is that which is above tougher to create? These galaxies and universes Allah has created, is that tougher or your creation, your you know puny creation? He constructed that. He put that together seamlessly. Rafa samkaha. He elevated its roof. Samk is actually the top of something. For example, Sanamun Samik is actually used, you know, for the higher, you know, the, 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 the hoofs of a camel, right? The, the humps of a camel, the higher one is Samik, right? So the, heart, the highest part of it. Allah says he, he elevated the highest part of the sky. Now the thing is in construction, you can tell the building is really tall by looking at the highest point of it. Allah Azza wa says he elevated the, 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 the canopy or the roof of the sky to the point where we can't even see it. That's how intense the construction of the sky is. In another place, Do you see any crack, any end to it even? So for us, it's an endless thing. And Allah illustrates how endless it is for us by saying He's the one who elevated its roof. فَسَوَّهَا And then He balanced it, straightened it out, leveled it to perfection. Taswiyah actually means the, all of these things. To balance, to level, to actually mold to perfection. وَأَغْطَشَ لَيْلَهَا this is actually one of my uh, points of curiosity in the Qur'an. Allah Azza wa speaks about the night in many ways. Many different words are used for the darkness of the night. Each one of, it, each one of them has their own connotation. Many of them are concentrated in juz amma. Many of them are put together in juz amma. Here we have, for example, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا عَصْعَصْ عَصْعَصْ is referred to when the night, the chokehold of the, of the night, as soon as it starts taking over. Okay, the chokehold of the night, as soon as it start ta starts taking over, and also when the chokehold of the night starts leaving, and the morning gets a, a chance to breathe. When the morning as it gets a chance to breathe, take a breath. For example. This is the dark of the night settling in when the blue of the night is completely gone. There's only black left. That's ghasaq. Then irtash, which is what's used here, This is the darkness of the night, highlighting the difficulty with which one can see. Things become blurry, things become confused with one another. You can't see if it's two people or one person, right? You can't see if it's a truck or a, a motorcycle or two motorcycles, you can't tell. So this is when vision becomes blurry. That's what's illustrated in aghtasha laylaha. He made the, the night exceptionally dark, hard in it for, for you to become, for, for it to be hard for you to see in it. وَأَخْرَجَ ضُحَاهَا And he brought out of it that very dark night where you couldn't see anything, duha. Duha is the time of the morning that's the brightest, when it's clearest and easiest to see. So Allah contrasts two things. He made the night so dark you couldn't tell truth from falsehood, figuratively speaking. And then he brought a day where there's absolute clarity one thing from the other. There's no confusion left. This is actually a, in between the lines a reference to Revelation. There was night so bad where you were picking God, this God versus that God, this idol versus that idol. It was all confusing to you people. What's going to happen after we die? Oh, we're not going to come back. Yeah, we will come back. We'll all go to heaven. None of us will go to heaven. There is no heaven. All this confusion. It was like the night. And now, out of that night, he has brought out this 
clear day. Wa akhraja buhaha. He has brought out the, the, clear, the clearest of that day. Wal arda ba'da dhalika dahaha. And the, the earth thereafter, he, uh, he, he made it smooth in its surface. Now, daha is an interesting word. Some people have tried to um, give a parallel from, from the point of view of Islam and science in this ayah. I'm not a big fan personally of Islam and science yet. I'm not convinced entirely. Uh, because I think we have to be true to the language and we shouldn't bend the meaning to fit science in it. If it's there, it's there, fine. But we shouldn't twist the meanings and abandon the additional classical meanings and say, ah, it means this, and now the scientific phenomenon clicks with the ayah. Anyway, I will tell you what the classical meaning is. The word daha actually, it's used, dahwa was used for the egg of an ostrich. So dahwa was used for the egg of an ostrich. Udhiya, actually, was used for the place where the ostrich lays its egg. So some have used that to say, wallahu a'lam, that because there's an implication of something oval or round, and Allah speaks about the earth and how He made it daha, He made it oval or round in shape. That's what the implication some have used. Allahu a'lam the truth in it. Anyhow, what we do know in the classical sense, daha yadhu dahwun means to smoothen and to spread out. So what Allah is illustrating here is after the earth and its magnet, oh, the sky and its magnificent creation. And how Allah made the sky a means of delivering the darkest night where you can't see and also the brightest morning when you can see everything. Also notice the powerful creation of the earth and how widely it spread. And perhaps this is also a reminder to the kafir who's been listening to the surah where Allah Azza wa Jal said, فَإِذَاهُمْ بِالسَّاهِرَةِ They're going to end up in that flat, clear land. Allah said, look, He made the land clear. So when you see clear land, you should remember that land where you're going to be landing eventually anyway. He, he drew out from it its water. That's the easy word. Mar'a is a little bit of a difficult word here. Mar'a is actually ism dharf makan. It's a, it's a noun used to allude to a place, a space. Ra'i is used for pasturing, right? And it's also used for pasture land, like grazing land, like fields and fields of farm and grass and stuff, where you grow produce for animals, for your cattle, and also for yourself. So Allah says basically, first He made the earth flat and smooth and expanded. Then he drew from it water and also these pasture lands, these places where you can pasture and these times where you can pasture. arsaha, And he created the mountains and he drew out mountains. And arsaha, irsa in Arabic actually means to draw, to put an anchor down on a large ship. That is irsa. So he says he put mountains like they are anchored into the ground, that they're anchored deep into the ground. The idea being you can't just pluck them out and move them. They're not like any other building that you can demolish and get up, but they're, they're fixed constructions that are very difficult, uh, very tough in their, in their construction. Also, uh, irsat was used for pegging, to peg something into the ground. This word actually will come up again in the surah. This is an interesting correlation of terms from beginning to end. Here Allah says, مَتَاعَلَّكُمْ anamikum." So after speaking a little bit about the earth, a little bit about the sky, then a little about the earth, and at the end of it Allah says, all of this, مَتَاعَلَّكُمْ This is provisions for you to use. Mata'. Tamattu' actually means to use and enjoy. But mata' alone is just to use. In the ancient Arabic, mata' was used, for example, for the scrub that you use to wash your dishes with. It's not something you enjoy, but it's definitely something you use, right? So dunya has been defined here as something to use, but not necessarily to enjoy. And that's the, the word is highly appropriate because the real problem of the one who denies akhirah is they're too addicted to enjoying dunya. Allah wants you to use dunya, but not necessarily to indulge yourself in its enjoyment. There's a higher purpose for which you were created. Mata'allakum wali an'amikum. Provisions for you, these things to use for yourselves, these, these produce to use for yourselves, and also for your cattle. فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ الْقَامَّةُ الْكُبْرَى This is the final passage of this surah. Then, when, inshallah, I'll take 10 more minutes. Is that okay? Inshallah, we'll try to wrap up as much as we can. If we can't finish, Allahu A'lam, then we'll, we'll go to the next uh, evening, inshallah. Or next Wednesday. فَإِذَا جَاءَتِ الطَّامَّةُ الْكُبْرَى Then finally when جَاءَتْ First of all, those of you that speak a little bit of Arabic, أَتَتْ and جَاءَتْ Both mean came. But one of them has more severity. جَاءَ is more severe than أَتَ. جَاءَ is used for larger, bigger things. And أَتَ is easy arrival. جَاءَ is grand arrival. So this is grand already because of the use of the word جَاءَ. إِذَا means all of a sudden here. Then, then when all of a sudden, what comes? What, what makes this grand entrance all of a sudden? Al-tammatul kubra. Tam in Arabic is used for something to be completely full. 
And tamma nahar, for example, a tamma al-bi'ra actually, is when a guy takes dirt and fills up the well all the way, it's completely full of dirt. That's tamma. Tamma is a calamity that is so full and so overwhelming from every direction, there's no escape from it. It's an overwhelming calamity, completely full of trouble any direction you turn to. So when this tammatul kubra, the ultimate, the greatest, most complete calamity, all of a sudden arrives, makes its, makes its grand entrance, then on that day, يَوْمَ يَتَذَكَّرُ الْإِنسَانُ مَا سَعَى What's interesting here are a few words. First thing, يَتَذَكَّر We said there's idgham, right? There's, you can use abbreviated words like يَذَّكَّر يَوْمَ يَذَّكَّرُ الْإِنسَانُ But Allah says يَوْمَ يَتَذَكَّرُ الْإِنسَانُ Which means He will remember thoroughly everything. He will, he will stop at every last memory and reflect, man, I messed up here, I messed up here, I messed up here. The complete re- recollection of everything you did is captured in the word yatadakkar. The day on which the human being will thoroughly remember every last thing that he worked towards, everything that he rushed towards. You remember we found Fir'aun, thumma adbara yasa'a, right? In the, in the very same surah, he would turn around and rush and pace. Allah says that everything that the human being used to rush towards, to pace towards. So it's connecting that term to here. He was pacing towards keeping his rule. Other human beings pace towards keeping their dunya, their wealth. To walk, to walk away from the religion and to, to pursue a life of pleasure. These are the things he will remember. But you know, the things that, the audacity of the kafir that's mentioned earlier on in the surah, they say things, yaquluna, qalu. Their crime in this surah, if you look at the kuffar that are mentioned in the surah, is their speech. They're skeptical of the hereafter. But Allah is seeing through their speech and saying, actually this speech is a result of the things you want to run towards. That's why you're talking like this. So then you will remember not just the speech, but the motives for the speech, the sa'i that was behind this speech, the efforts that you used to make. You will find in the Quran, for example, وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَا فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِيَذَّكَّرُوا we have, we have manipulated the message and, and presented it in varying ways in this Quran, so they may remember at least a little bit. لِيَذَّكَّرُوا See, Allah didn't say لِيَتَذَّكَّرُوا so they may remember the whole thing. At least they'll get some reminder from it. At some point they will remember. At least they'll get something out of it. لِيَذَّكَّرُوا yara, And the hellfire will be brought forward. Burriza or barraza, you know, tabriz actually, is used to pull something out and put it in front of someone. Burrizatil jahim, hellfire will be brought out and put in front of someone. In front of who? Liman yara. Put in front of the one who wishes to see, who wants to see. You know why this is so powerful? Because if you look at the complaints of the skeptics, they said, oh, I can't visualize when bones are going to be resurrected again, when we're going to be brought back to our original state. And now, you want to see? You know what? We'll show you eventually. And the entire jahim, jahama actually is a very powerful word in, in Arabic. Jahama is used when a lion is staring at you with hungry eyes. That's, that's the word jahama. And it's one of the names of the hellfire. It's also used when a, when a, when a blaze is so intense it looks almost like it's staring at you. Like it's about to pounce on you. That's one of the names of the hellfire. So this, this, this enraged hellfire, Burrizat al-Jahib, will be brought forward for anyone to look at. Meaning they'll have to look at the rage of it. And it's looking at them with rage, and they're looking at it with rage. So they're, yara, they're looking with yara, the hellfire is looking with the word jahim, subhanallah. فَأَمَّا مَنْ طَغَى Then as for the one who still rebelled, meaning in this dunya, who resorted to rebellion. The word taga is really interesting here because what was the message of Fir'aun? What message of Musa alayhi to Fir'aun? Why was he sent? إِذْهَبْ إِلَى فِرْعَوْنِ إِنَّهُ طَغَى He had rebelled. Now the parallel is being brought to life. That wasn't just a story. As far as, as far as you guys are concerned, anyone, not just Fir'aun, فَأَمَّا مَنْ Whoever, whoever engages in rebellion, وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا And gave preference. آثَرَ Like it's used in a good way too. يُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ Right? They give, pres- they give preference to others even at the expense of their own selves. Here Allah says, وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا This person gave preference to worldly life, to closer life, to inferior life. So the real rebellion, the source of rebellion has been mentioned here, is preferring worldly life, is giving preference to worldly life. It has nothing even to do with disbelieving in the Akhirah. That's not even the problem. The problem is preference. 
you gave preference, you gave more weight to this, you gave more priority to this. That's the real rebellion that's mentioned, subhanAllah. فَإِنَّ الْجَحِيمَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى Then that jahim that was brought out, that is the place of, that is going to be it, in fact, alone will be al-ma'wa. Al-ma'wa comes from iwa in Arabic, which is to find some place to seek refuge and hide from danger. But wait a second, we just said jahim is this blazing fire like a roaring lion, staring at you with the eyes and the gawk of death. And Allah says, that jahim will be your place to find refuge. This is Allah's sarcasm. You see, they began with sarcasm. Right? They spoke like this about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the akhirah. Now Allah is speaking to them with sarcasm. You want to find refuge? That's going to be your refuge. That blazing, that enraged flame. May Allah protect us from the hellfire. And as for the one who feared standing before their Lord, the one who had fear of standing before their Lord. Remind yourself, Musa alayhi salam was giving an offer to Fir'aun. I'll guide you to your Lord, you'll get some knowledge, you'll, be a, you'll, you'll gain some fear. But the believer has an even stronger fear, as though of a manifest thing. And that manifest fear is captured in the word khawf. The person, as for the one who, who feared even standing in front of their Lord. He didn't fear their Lord, feared the standing itself. Maqam is zarf, zaman and makan. Which means we fear that place and we fear that time. That time where we have to stand in front of our Lord. And as a result of that sphere, that sphere of consequence, hawa, he prevented his, the nafs. By the way, what's beautiful here is Allah didn't say nafsahu. He prevented his own self, his self, himself. He didn't say that. He said an-nafs. It's almost as though Allah wants you to make a conflict within yourself, against yourself, as, you're, as though you're fighting somebody else. It's like there's another person inside you that is calling to the hellfire. Right? There's a nafs inside you commanding you to evil. And Allah wants you to see that nafs as an enemy. So He doesn't even give it possessive, nafsahu, that He called, He forbidden His own self. Because you know, when you say, I, I forbade myself, it's, you're talking about yourself. Allah wants you to think of it as an external entity inside you. That He wants you to fight. He fought that nafs that was inside of Him, but not really Him. Don't, be, don't think that that's you. That's a challenge to you, inside of you, that you have to defeat. From vain, pathetic desire. From empty desire. That seems so powerful at the moment, but when it subsides, there's nothing there. That's hawa. فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى then for, then for such person, the paradise is his place of finding refuge. That's his place of getting, getting safety from danger. SubhanAllah, two ma'wa mentioned. The hellfire and then the paradise. May Allah make us of the people of paradise. Please keep in mind, this surah is not about belief and disbelief in the hereafter. The actual, there are other passages that deal with that. This, this surah is about preference of the hereafter versus preference of dunya, which is the root cause of someone who claims to disbelieve in the hereafter. It's, it's attacking the root of the problem. And this root problem can be a disease for the Muslim too. The Muslim that falls into dunya and forgets the akhirah and they don't give it preference even though they claim to believe in it. Or when it's talked about, they talk about it casually. Oh, come on, Allah is merciful. Relax already. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Why do you have to go to Maliki Yawmiddin? <laughs> right? Just keep it at Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Anyhow, Actually, this is the final passage. They ask you about the hour. We'll be done very quickly, inshallah. They ask you about the hour. When is it going to be pegged? You know, same root, same word. They, they, now they're speaking sarcastically. They're saying, we see the mountainous pegs, that's secure. But this idea of the hour approaching and everything falling apart... When is this idea going to really come and situate itself, peg itself and anchor itself? Ayyana mursaha. Fima anta min dhikraha. Allah puts this to the Messenger Allah quotes their audacity and then turns to the Messenger and says, Fima anta min dhikraha, which means, what place do you have? In what capacity are you going to make mention of the hour? Now, th- think about this question carefully. In what capacity are you to make or are you to make mention of the hour? Now, is the messenger supposed to talk about the hour? Absolutely. But in a particular capacity. Not in the capacity of when is it? What date? What time of the day? 
Not, not in our capacity. In the capacity that it's coming, get ready for it. That's his capacity. So, Fima anta min dhikraha, Allah poses the question to the Messenger, reminding him and them, in what capacity are you to be speaking about it? And then Allah says, who has the full knowledge of it? Ila rabbika muntaha. Only to your Lord. Ila rabbik is ikhtisas, because it's taqdeem of it, it's earlier. So only to your Lord will the final and complete knowledge of it be returned. It, doesn't, it is not in possession of anyone else. Muntaha comes from intiha, which is the conclusion of something. This also implies that only to your Lord is the possession, the ownership of the very beginning of the events of Akhirah to the very end of the events of Akhirah. All of this is in complete possession of your Lord. Now remember the previous statement was Fima anta min dhikraha. In what capacity are you going to make mention of it? Now Allah specifies what capacity is the messenger's capacity to speak about the hereafter. He says, Innama anta mundir man yakshaha. You are nothing more than a warner to the one who will actually gain some fear out of this. The, cons- the recurring themes in this surah, khashya, right? وَأَهْدِيَكَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ فَتَخْشَىٰ Right? لِمَنْ يَخْشَىٰ إِنَّ فِي ذَٰلِكَ لَعِبْرَةً لِمَنْ يَخْشَىٰ Again, then here again, إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُنْذِرُ مَنْ يَخْشَىٰهَا Who will have fear of a larger thing that is coming. You're only a warner to the one who will gain fear of it eventually. Some- somehow they will have some fear instilled into them. كَأَنَّهُمْ يَوْمَ يَرَوْنَهَا On the day that the day on which they will see it, they will see that fire, they will see that hour arrive, it will be as though, لَمْ يَلْبَثُوا إِلَّا عَشِيَّةً أَوْ ضُحَاهَا They will remember this world, and they will say, we didn't stay in this worldly life, عَشِيَّةً عَشِيَّةً means the time when the sun starts setting, meaning it goes from its peak, the noon, it starts setting to Maghrib time. That, period, that span is عَشِيَّةً. ضُحَا is the early morning, like Fajr time, all the way to noon. So they're going to say, we didn't stay in this worldly life, maybe one afternoon or one early afternoon. One morning to afternoon. That's, the, that's the, as far as we remember in comparison to just this day, this hour. A sa'a, that's the ha here. When they see that hour, their life will seem like one afternoon in comparison, subhanAllah. كَأَنَّهُمْ يَوْمَ يَرَوْنَهَا لَمْ يَلْبَثُوا إِلَّا عَشِيَةً أَوْ ضُحَاهَا the final thing inshallah we'll mention how the beginning of this surah is connected to the end of this surah because that's a recurring study we're doing also. In the beginning Allah spoke of the day. يَوْمَ تَرْجُفُ الرَّاجِفَةَ The day on which the rattling is going to occur. For that which is supposed to rattle. It's designed for rattling. And then followed by another. The first trumpet and then the second trumpet. Right? At the end again, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ السَّاعَةَ They ask you about the hour. So it began with mention of the hour, it concludes with mention of the hour, tying the subject together, making it one cohesive discussion. Inshallah ta'ala, next week, by Allah's permission, I'll stick to my time limit, and uh, we will discuss the next surah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaika. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.